what are you afraid of? If you're ever diagnosed with palatophobia, then you have a fear of baldness. No! If you have peripheraphobia, then you have a fear of the color purple. Or if you have phobophobia, well, you probably guessed it. You have the fear of being afraid. While these might sound irrational and easy to laugh off, we all have things we're afraid of. In fact, if the very thought of a judgmental God scares you, you're not alone. There's no need to fear. I'm not afraid that I'm not going to make it into the kingdom. I'm already in the kingdom because my faith is not in my righteousness. It is in his righteousness. So when I go before my father, he's not looking at me. He's looking at his son. So stop being afraid. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. Jesus offers words of hope through his book of Revelation, Not to Fear. And this week, Charles Tapp shares these comforting words as he continues his series, Christ First, A Journey Through the Book of Revelation, with his message, No Need to Fear. Today, as we continue our series, Christ First, A Journey Through the Book of Revelation, I just want to take a moment to recap the essence of our previous message that we titled Blessed Assurance. And I want to do that today by turning to a very familiar passage of Scripture that the Apostle Paul shared with his young protege, Timothy. And I'm sure we're all familiar with this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and verse 17. I invite us to read it on the screen. Every scripture is what? God breathed, meaning given by his inspiration and profitable for instruction, for reproof and conviction of sin, for correction of error and discipline and obedience and for training in righteousness, meaning in holy living, in conformity to God's will and thought purpose and action, verse 17, so that the man of God, meaning the individual, the human, the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete and proficient, well-fitted and thoroughly equipped for what, everybody? Every good work, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. In essence, this is the message that the apostle Paul has here for us in this passage of Scripture in a nutshell. And that is simply this, that although Scripture has been penned by human beings, individuals, by sinful men, it is still a divine revelation from God himself. That's what it means, inspired, it is God-breathed. And because it is God-breathed, because it is inspired from God, a divine revelation, when you and I embrace the word of God, Paul is saying that it then becomes an instrument that blesses our lives. Who says amen to that today? And how does it bless us? First of all, it shows us how we are to live our lives in a way that puts a smile on the face of God. 
Secondly, it reveals to us when we're going down the wrong path. Have you ever gone down the wrong path in your life, even though you're following GPS? GPS is not always correct, people. How many of you know that to be true? Raise your hands. I was trying to get somewhere one day, and I'm following GPS, global whatever systems. Position system had the wrong position. Trying to get to an event, and it took me to a cliff, and it said, go ahead, 300 feet. I'm going, no. But God's word is always on point. It always points us in the right direction. God's word is a blessing because it gets us back on track. And thirdly, God's word is a blessing because once we embrace the word of God and we take it into our lives, it helps us to grow. It helps us to mature in the ways of God. But here's the point we want to make this morning. That although there is a blessing whenever we read any of God's word, whenever we open scripture and read it and take it in, there is a blessing for you and for me. But what we have discovered in our series on Revelation here is that God has placed within this final book of the Bible a special, unique blessing to everyone who is willing to not only read it, but to hear it and to do it. As a matter of fact, if you go from Revelation chapter 1 all the way through to Revelation chapter 22, there are seven unique blessings, beatitudes, similar to the beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. As a matter of fact, the word that is used for blessed in Matthew 5 is the very same word that John is using here in throughout the book of Revelation. It is the word makarios. Some have translated it happiness, but it is bigger than being happy. Blessed simply means that I am in right relationship with God. And in order to be in right relationship with God, I must first also be in right relationship with man. And if you go from Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, we have the first beatitude. It says, blessed is he who reads and hears the word of this prophecy. Revelation 14, 13, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Revelation 16, 15, blessed is the one who watches and keeps his garments. Revelation 19, 9, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, talking about Jesus. Revelation 20, verse 6, blessed and holy is he who has a part in the first resurrection. Revelation 22, 7, blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. And finally, the last beatitude of Revelation, Revelation 22, 14, blessed are those who wash their robes. As we learned previously, John, as he receives this vision for Revelation, is exiled on the island of Patmos, similar to our modern-day Alcatraz, if you please. And why is John there? He tells us in the very first chapter, he says, I am there because I have acknowledged 
the only true and wise God, the creator of this world and no one else. In other words, John says, I refuse to compromise my belief in God despite those who are being persecuted, those who are being punished. He has remained true. And it is here on this island of Patmos that he receives on the Lord's day, the Sabbath, this vision. And he says in verses 9 through 11 that he, that he hears this loud voice, a voice so loud that it sounds like that of a trumpet. And he is told by the voice that when you receive this vision, write the vision down, put the vision in a book and take it to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And I want us to take a look at these churches today. So I have a map, and I apologize for those who are listening by radio. You won't be able to see this. But let's take a look at this map. For here we have the seven churches. And right below Ephesus to the southwest, you see Patmos. That's where John was. That's where he received this vision. That's where he was Exile And all around Patmos, what do you see? Nothing but water. But when he received the vision, when he was finally able to leave Patmos, he took it and the messenger sent it from Ephesus to Smyrna all the way around in a clockwise position to finally to the church at Laodicea. These are seven literal churches, communities of Christians that were living in the first century of our day. And here's what's important, dear friends. Because the reason John was given this message to give to these seven churches is because God wanted to let his people know that even in the midst of severe persecution and punishment for standing up for what is right, that he still is with them and that he still loves them. I don't know what it is about our humanity when things don't go well in our lives the way we want them to. The first thing we attribute it to is that God no longer loves us. Have you ever felt that way? When things don't go well, well, God, you don't love me anymore? Don't you care? Have you ever asked God, God, don't you still care? Of course you have. That's just human nature. So God sends John this, this, this revelation through Jesus Christ to let them know that he is still with them, that he still cares for them, and that he will be with them as they prepare to endure the impending crisis that is about to come. And here's what we dare not forget in the book of Revelation. Although this message was for the seven churches at that particular time, it was also for the future and what was going to come even down to our present age. Now, here's what's important here. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, as we look at verses 12 to verse 18. Look at what it says. This is John. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. And having turned, I saw what? Seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool. This is all symbolic, folks. 
as white as snow and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like what? Fine brass as if refined in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand, right hand symbolizing God's divine blessing, seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp, what? Two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Verse 17. And when I saw him, John says, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his there it is again, that right hand on me, saying to me, do not be what? Afraid, for I am what? The first and the last. Verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen. And I have the keys of Hades, talking about hell, as well as the keys of death. Now, it's important to recognize that from the very onset, John gives us the meaning behind these seven stars and seven lampstands. In verse 20, he says, the seven stars are the angels, are the messengers who give and share the book of Revelation. But then he says in verse 20 that the seven lampstands represent the seven churches of Asia Minor. And I thought about that for a moment. When you think about a lampstand representing a church that falls in line to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are to be the what? Light of the world. But in verse 13, he also mentions here, John says, I see one who looks like the son of man, walking in the midst of these seven lampstands. Please don't miss this. Clothed with a garment, John says, that goes all the way down to his feet, and he has a golden band girding him around his chest. This phrase, one like the son of man, is a very familiar one. As I mentioned to you when we began this series in Revelation, if you want to understand Revelation, you need to understand the Old Testament as well, especially when it comes to books like Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, it is mentioned here that the Ancient of Days gives over and hands the power of the kingdom to one who is like the Son of Man. This title, the Son of Man, throughout the Gospels is used to refer to the Messiah. As a matter of fact, when you read the Gospels, the favorite title that Jesus would use in making reference to himself is this very one, the Son of Man. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, Jesus says in making reference to the second coming, he says, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. What power and great glory? The power that the Ancient of Days has now given to the Son of Man, whom we know to be Jesus. But there is something else here that we dare not miss. 
For John says that this figure is clothed in a garment that goes down to his feet and he has this golden band around his chest. Clothing is very important because many times clothing can define one's role. If you were to see a policeman come in here in his, his or her uniform, you would say that that's a person that whose job it is to, uh, is to serve and to protect. If you were to see a soldier in a uniform, you would say that that's her job to defend and intervene in times of crisis. So when John hears this voice and he turns and he sees this figure in this long robe, what is he thinking? What he saw was the pediri. It is the dress that Aaron would wear whenever he performed his priestly duties. And the job of the priests was to be the one who would offer sacrifices for the people of God because of their sin. But it was also the role of the priest who would be that bridge from man to God and from God to man. He would be the one who would intervene in behalf of the people of God. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, No Need to Fear. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family. And uh, WGTS lifts me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life. And um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community. support makes a difference. I always uh, encourage people, like, you want to listen to something to be encouraged when you're going through a tough time, starting at 91.9, they are definitely up with the spirits. And uh, especially in the trying time we're in right now in society. Working together to impact the nation's capital. We are family. And I am forever grateful for for the WGPS family because that's exactly what it is, family. And we get to be a part of that as listeners, which is is amazing. Listener funded. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life. And this week, Charles Tapp shares the comforting words found in the book of Revelation that offers hope as he concludes his message, No Need to Fear. Jesus, we see in Revelation here, no longer the Jesus of Nazareth. No longer do we see him as the rabbi, the teacher without a home, with no place to lay his head. But now in the book of Revelation, which is a revelation about Jesus, from Jesus, Jesus now presents himself as the exalted Christ, the victorious one, the first and the last. And John says, I see the priest Jesus walking in the midst of the lampstands, which represent the seven churches, not just then, but the church through all ages. So the picture that John gives us in Revelation is that in times of crisis, in times of persecution, we have a high priest who intercedes in behalf of the people of God. But then I thought about it. Why then, in verse 17, 
does Jesus tell John, don't be afraid? Because earlier he says, out of his mouth, please don't miss this, out of the mouth of Jesus, he sees a two-edged sword. If you know anything about the Old Testament, a two-edged sword represents the judgment upon the people of God for their sins. So when he sees that, he falls down because he's thinking that Christ has come to judge him. But when I looked at this in the original language and I looked at the construction of this phrase, do not be afraid, I discovered that it's in the present imperative. The imperative would mean you're being told to do something. And if it's in the present voice or the present mood, what Jesus was telling John wasn't do not be afraid. He was telling him to stop being afraid. And why was he afraid? Because he thought that he was being judged and Jesus is telling him, I'm not coming to judge you. I'm here to intervene for you. You see, too many of us think that we are saved by our own works and we see God as a God who is always looking to judge. We see God as one who wants to put fear into our hearts. And let me just pause to say this. The church, we have done a poor job at presenting the image of God. We try to guilt people into the church, do we not? We try to make people afraid that they're going to hell. Just this week, just yesterday, I can't make this up. As fate would have it, I went to my mailbox and got my mail and I pulled out a brochure, it was an invitation, nice full color, four page invitation. Someone's doing a revelation seminar. And as I turned and opened the pamphlet, I'm thinking I'm going to see Jesus, the victorious, exalted one. But instead, I'm seeing beasts and all kinds of images and, and destruction and death. And I'm going, stop it. Why are we trying to frighten people to serve God? All of that is there in Revelation, but that's not the crux of Revelation. The crux of Revelation is Jesus is saying, I'm no longer hanging on the cross. I'm the Jesus who is now interceding for you. I'm the bridge, and all you got to do is come over the bridge. Revelation is the gospel. Revelation is the good news that you and I are not saved by our own works, by our own righteousness. Revelation is the story that Christ is victorious, and because he's victorious, we don't have to wear our righteousness. We can wear his righteousness. For by grace, Paul says, are you saved and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works, meaning nobody has the right to boast or brag. So here's what God is saying to his people today. Stop being afraid. There's no need to fear, for I am with you. I looked at a list this week of the top 100 phobias or fears that people have. I thought it was just an interesting list. 
People who are afraid of heights, acrophobia. People who are afraid of spiders and acrophobia. But did you know, and I did not know this until I looked it up, thank God for Google, amen? The name of it is mesophobia. It is the fear of being lost. Not lost as it relates to salvation, but just lost as it relates to places. And I examined that, and one of the prescriptions for someone who has that fear of being lost is the counselor would try to get them to see a different perspective. Stay with me. So I said to myself, there are many people today who have the fear of being lost because they're depending on their own righteousness. Where in God's word can we get a right perspective? It's in 1 John chapter 4. Let's go back there as we take a look at these two verses here, 17 and 18. It says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of what? Judgment. That word boldness means confidence. It doesn't mean cocky. It means because of the sacrifice of Christ, I can be confident in my salvation. Amen? In the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Here it is in verse 18. There is no fear, please don't miss this, in love. But perfect love casts out what? Fear. That word perfect doesn't mean sinless. You know what it means? It means a love that is mature. A love that has grown. And what John is saying, when you're in a relationship with God and you truly understand that he loves you, why are you afraid? But there are many people today who are afraid of God. And we should have an awe for God, but we shouldn't have a fear of God. You see, we all know John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But we miss verse 17 that says, God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might what? Be saved. Why should I fear in that kind of relationship? So Jesus is telling John on the Isle of Patmos, John, stop being afraid. I'm victorious. And I am in the midst of the churches. We'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks. And I will give them whatever they need so that they too can live with me forever more. As I said from day one, the book of Revelation is not about the future and what it holds. The book of Revelation is about the one who holds our future. And we can be confident that the one who holds our future is one who loves us. There's no need to fear. I'm not afraid that I'm not going to make it into the kingdom. I'm already in the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. I'm already in the kingdom. And I'm not afraid I'm going to miss out on eternal life. And let me tell you why. Because my faith is not in my righteousness. It is in his righteousness. So when I go before my father, he's not looking at me. He's looking at his son. So stop being afraid 
our great high priest says is walking with us. He is in the midst of us. He is intervening for us before our heavenly father. And with that in mind, there is no need for any of us to fear. So live in the grace of your salvation today, knowing that it's not your works that are gonna save you. It's only the works of the eternal, everlasting, victorious Son of God. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, No Need to Fear. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. We don't have the Spirit in our lives. And without the Holy Spirit having full control of our lives, we have no power to love. There is something amazing that happens when we discover the life-changing reality of the Holy Spirit. You won't want to miss Charles Taft's message next week, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life. If you're already part of the giving team, thank you. Your gift makes stories like these possible. You know, I used to listen to another station, but I discovered you guys one day when I was driving and I was hitting the tune button and it came in and I thought, oh, I've never heard of this station. So that was really exciting. Your support makes a difference. It's just really nice to be able to listen to something positive, something that I can listen to with my kids and, you know, they're singing along and I'm like, oh, this is great. They're singing about you. Jesus, you know, they're not singing about things that they shouldn't even be listening to. Listener funded WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. And 88.3 on the Eastern Shore.